0: If you had wings, you could do many things. You could widen your world if you had wings.
1: My daughter Ariel has
2: been up to the surface again. Somebody's got to nail that girl's fins to the floor. Calling Dick Tracy. Calling Dick Tracy. The balonian
1: diamond has just been stolen from the museum. Calling Dick Tracy. I'm on my way.
0: Mary Poppins became the biggest hit Walt Studio ever had, and he was able to build a division that has since created every audio animatronics character for every Disney theme park in the world. Just think how different the Disney theme parks might be had it not been for Mary Poppins and Maypoe. Here it is, the moment you've been waiting for. Here it is, you know exactly what's in the store. W. radio. Your-
1: Welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. This is show number 81 for the week of August 24th, 2008, and as always, I am your host, Lou Mangiello. We'll start off with some news from Walt Disney World this week, including a new interactive experience for guests, and in the Walt Disney World rumor mill, we'll take a look at another add-on outside the park adventure experience that may or may not be coming in the future one of my favorite segments on the show are the DSI Disney Scene Investigations. And this week, we take a look at one of my favorite attractions, Peter Pan's Flight. Jeff and I will look at the history of the attraction, its roots and connection to Disneyland, examine it scene by scene, and explore why it remains such a timeless classic. There are so many reasons to go to Walt Disney World, whether it's a family vacation with the kids, honeymooning with your new spouse, the big family reunion, or the occasional solo research trip. But what about just a bunch of the guys getting together and going away? And instead of places like Myrtle Beach or Las Vegas, what about going to Walt Disney World? Steve Tiki Man Seifert is going to join me to talk about going away on his mancation to Walt Disney World, the many things you can do outside the park with the guys, and how to get the most out of the experience. I'll have some announcements at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. We'll start off this week's show with some Walt Disney World news, and one of the very best parts of the Beauty and the Beast show in Disney's Hollywood Studios in my humble opinion, is the opening quote-unquote act. And not just because of how incredibly talented the group of performers is, but for how they catch most members of the audience by total surprise. They're known as Four for a Dollar, and they're the acapella group that's performed at the pre-show at Disney's Hollywood Studios Beauty and the Beast show for many, many years. But unfortunately, that run is going to be coming to an end. On September 20th, The group, which is known as Return to Zero, when they're not performing on Disney property, is going to give its final performance, and I have to say that if you are heading down to Walt Disney World before then, and whether you've seen them before or not, I highly recommend checking them out, probably for the last time. Fans of the Emmy Award winning Disney Channel show Kim Possible, and who are heading to Walt Disney World later on this year, should get ready, because there's going to be a new interactive experience debuting in late 2008 guests in Epcot are going to be treated to a brand new, very, very interactive attraction inspired by the Disney Channel animated series. Much like the test program that ran some time ago, Disney's Kim Possible World Showcase Adventure is going to use the latest technology and invite guests of all ages to become secret agents and team up with members of, the Kim, of Team Possible to save the world from various comical villains and their crazy inventions. Now, guests are going to receive an official handheld communicator device at kiosks located throughout epcot to help them maneuver around through their missions it's going to connect guests to characters and also control some top secret equipment hidden inside world showcase pavilions now guests can play the adventure in seven of the pavilions including mexico norway china germany japan france and the united kingdom each pavilion is going to have a unique mission and a different supervillain from the show. Now, I love this idea, and since there doesn't seem to be any sort of a published age restriction, it's something I'm definitely going to try out when I go later on this year. Of course, maybe I'll need to watch the show first so I know exactly what I'm doing. But in my opinion, I think Disney is once again creating an ultra-interactive, very different, and physical experience for guests. And in case you didn't take note, nowhere did I nor Disney mention that this involves any additional cost to guests. So, for more information, you can call 407-824-4321 or visit DisneyWorld.com. Finally, in the news, listener Darren emailed me earlier this week about a very interesting addition to the FastPass system. And no, it's not a new technology or ticket or anything like that. It's actually a new attraction being added to the FastPass lineup. But what differentiates this from any other's is that there is no FastPass kiosk outside. Confused yet? Well, when you hear what the attraction is, you might even be more confused, because it's the Carousel of Progress. And while you can't walk up and pick up a FastPass for it, some other Magic Kingdom FastPass attractions have been giving out surprise FastPasses for the classic show. So, for example, you might walk up to Winnie the Pooh and get your Pooh FastPass, and out with it comes a surprise fast pass for Carousel of Progress. Now, while these surprise passes aren't new, the ones for the Carousel of Progress are. Now, it's not known why or for how long these new fast passes might be distributed, but on my next trip down, I will do my best to find out more. Because there wasn't a lot of news this week, we're going to move right on over to the Walt Disney World rumor mill. And I mentioned a few weeks ago that I've been working on a new, pretty big rumor to share and I wanted to follow up on what I was referring to. We discussed some time ago the rumored Night Kingdom experience that was supposed to be coming to Walt Disney World. Now, I noted that it is not a Fifth Gate or a new theme park, but it's an add-on optional experience for guests. And while other rumors have surfaced since that time that the project was not going to be moving forward, I have heard rumors to the contrary and may have some concrete proof. Now, while I can't discuss everything that I've heard, I can tell you that the project is expected to see the light of day as Disney continues to research and, more importantly, refine what it might be. And, as they often do, they're listening to guest input. And how do we know that? Well, a number of listeners emailed me, and they told me about a survey that they had taken part in. And after watching a long video, they were asked their opinion of a new, quote, kind of adventure by Disney that would be coming to the Orlando area. They called it The Jungle Trek, And it was described as a five-hour adventure. And as one listener put it, quote, almost like you're inside an Indiana Jones movie, exploring ruins and taking zip lines and stuff. Then there's a feast at the end with food and entertainment from around the world. End quote. Now, I have seen screenshots of the information that was in the survey, which I will not post on the site. But what I can tell you is that there's also been some projected pricing. And I'm just going to share a little bit of what some of the survey had said. And it's an Overview of the Jungle Trek. Get ready for the Jungle Trek, the newest premium vacation experience by Disney. Set off on a guided expedition through the wilds of the world, discovering natural beauty and the magic of faraway places. Explore these exotic locations and have the exciting hands-on adventures you've always wanted to have and do it all in one place, all in one day, all by taking the Jungle Trek. And a series of bullet points begins by saying, Your five-hour experience will be an eye-opening adventure from the moment it begins. It starts off by talking about the Jungle Trek as a -a one-of-a-kind two-hour adventure experience where you'll cross rickety bridges, go down narrow paths, encounter rare animals, and discover secrets of things like ancient ruins. It says that you and your small party have to work together for an experience that you'll never forget, and then you're going to arrive in a global village where you can spend the next three hours It says, resting, relaxing, and exploring further, from animals to architecture, entertainment to zip lining thrills, you choose how to best enjoy all the intimate village offers. And then, of course, it says you can stop by the marketplace for a dining atmosphere with flavors and foods from around the world. Pick what you like and then find a comfortable spot in the village to enjoy, and you're welcome to return for as much as you like. It goes on to say that the trek is a real adventure made accessible by Disney Magic, and throughout the expedition, You choose whether to tackle each hands-on challenge or take a much less intense but equally spectacular journey. So the entire family can enjoy the journey together while each person has exactly the experience that he or she wants to have. Obviously, with the number one concern being safety and comfort for the guests, it also does say that children as young as seven years old can participate in the trek show. So it truly is meant to be a family experience and that guests with disabilities can also participate. It goes on to say that it's, quote, a premium exclusive experience. And you do have a personal adventure guide that leads the party of around eight people through the entire journey. And because only a limited number of guests can participate each day, you're going to be able to enjoy it with no lines, no crowds, and no wait. There will be one single admission price that's going to include all elements of the experience. But here's where I got a little suspect because it says, quote, the Jungle Trek, the Global Village, the live shows, soft drinks, and the global cuisine. Why they would specify soft drinks particularly, that kind of raised a red flag for me. But that's okay. Let's go on. Let's, let's talk more about what it says, because it says preparing is easy. Reservations are obviously required because it is a premium, limited capacity experience. It says you can go online, call Disney's reservation agents, or contact your travel agent. And then you can also select the date and time of your departure, because there are going to be a number of treks departing throughout the day. And this is where it got even more interesting, because I saw what was marked an example screen of a Jungle Trek ticket menu. And again here, there were a couple of things that raised a red flag. Um, Again, I don't know if this survey was from Walt Disney World or a third party, but some of the nomenclature used was a little bit different than what I've seen and what you'd expect coming from Walt Disney World. But again, let's just keep moving forward and talk about this, what purports to be a Jungle Trek ticket menu. There are four different departure times, a morning, early afternoon, late afternoon, and evening. Each one departs every 15 minutes from a different uh, couple of blocks of time, so the morning departures would would leave 9, 9 9.15, 9.30, up until 11.45. The early afternoon would start at noon, and then so on. The ticket prices are all $250 per person, except for the early afternoon departure, and I saw nothing on this very simple screen to indicate why there would be that $100 premium. And then it would show you that for a party of four, what you'd pay, obviously, for a party of four for $250 would be $1,000 per person. Again, $1,400 for the $350 per person. Now, one of the listeners that emailed me did say that there were other questions that involved other parts of the experience, such as what you'd like to do, whether it be exploring ruins, going on zip lines, feeding animals and having up-close animal encounters, whether you'd like to go on a rainforest adventure, a boat ride, see live entertainment and shows, and what other sort of exotic destinations you'd like to go to. Now, again, I'm a, a bit suspect of this based on the screenshots that I saw, specifically the way things were explained and the nomenclature that was and was not used. But I want to stress that this is, you know, not just not a fifth theme park, and it is only a rumor, and this is only a very big rumor, nothing at all has been confirmed by Disney either about Night Kingdom, Jungle Trek, or anything in between, but I I said all along that I like talking about the rumors, not in an attempt to break any sort of secret information, but whether or not they are true, I think it's just fun to speculate on them and discuss them together. So I I welcome you to do just that. I welcome you to come over, interact with the show, call the voicemail 206-202-4WDW, or talk about it in the forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Let me know what you think of the concept of either Night Kingdom Jungle trek, or what this sounds to you is this something you'd be interested in doing? Whether or not it it, it is as has been outlined in either of these two scenarios, would you like to sort of add on experience outside the parks? And would you be willing to pay a premium for it? Would you take your whole family? Is it something that you would just want to do on your own, maybe either because of the cost or because of what's involved? Again, it's just a lot of fun, I think, to speculate on what may or may not be coming. In the future, and of course, if you have any rumors that you want to share, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. Come
0: on, everybody. Here we go.
1: One of my favorite attractions in all of Walt Disney World is Peter Pan's Flight in Fantasyland. And chances are, you've seen how long the lines are at any given time of the day, so I'm clearly not alone. And I don't think that its appeal is limited to just families with young children, as it's a timeless classic that's enjoyed by kids and kids at heart, like me. And although it may seem like a short and a simple dark ride through the story of the old 1953 film, It really is so much more than that, as it's not just replete with story, but technological advances, wonderful special effects, and something else that separates this attraction from any other in the Disney theme parks. So I'm thrilled to be able to feature Peter Pan's flight in this latest DSI Disney scene investigation with my good friend and fellow detective, Sergeant Jeffrey Pepper.
2: Thank you, Lou. Pleasure to be here again.
1: It's great to have you back, Jeff. It's been way too long since our last DSI.
2: We've got some investigating to do, so let's get to it.
1: Yeah, and, and I've really been dying to do this one for a long time. And I, and I struggled early on saying, you know, it seems like it's such a, a short, simple dark ride attraction that we might, you know, not have enough for a DSi. But, you know, going back as we normally do, I'm sure 45 minutes from now, we'll be wrapping up, you know, the queue <laughs> as we're about to board uh, our, our, our ships. Because I think what we should do is, as always, look at some of the history of the attraction, look at some of the secrets and the details and what I want to do at the end Jeff is I want to discuss the continuing sort of unwavering popularity that this attractions had through the decades
2: it's it's truly a Hall of Fame thing and it's it's really the the, the thing about Peter Pan's flight is that it took the dark ride to another level and it it, it had a wow factor all the way back in 1955 when the first premiered at Disneyland and then it just continued that on even some near nearly 20 years later when it premiered in Florida, and it, it just took the dark ride concept and kind of turned it on its ear a little bit, and I think it's just so enduring for the, those reasons that we'll talk about.
1: Exactly, and when we talk about the history of the attraction, we really need to look not at the swamps of Florida, but really over to the orange groves of, of California because the Walt Disney World version that opened in 1971 was modeled after the original... Uh, Disneyland version that opened in Anaheim. So when we look back at how the attraction really came to be, we need to look at the original because a lot of the elements and a lot of what was brought into that original was obviously carried over um, into Walt Disney World. And like Disney World's Fantasyland, Disneyland opened in 1955 with Fantasyland sort of as its cornerstone. And Peter Pan's flight really was an, an integral part of that because it was one of those attractions that allowed guests to be immersed and experience moments in what are now classic uh, Disney films. And, you know, Walt talked about Fantasyland embodying imagination, hopes and dreams, and, and clearly Peter Pan's flight uh, represents that.
2: And it's also key to remember that, that when it opened in Disneyland in 55, it was still very fresh. The movie had only been out, had been only released in theaters for a few years. So it was the equivalent to, you know, uh, current property, that we see like a Pixar film, Wally, or something like that, when it was there in Disneyland.
1: You didn't just compare Peter Pan to Wally, did you?
2: Not in that context. Okay, don't <laughs> stop the email. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to look for that. You know, That's I didn't want to you know, get into the fact that you know Disney, Walt Disney Feature Animation, hasn't had a big game <laughs> <in> ten years. <laughs> don't don't send the letters now. So.
1: So you're comparing it to Wally and saying it's not quite as good as Chicken Little. Okay, well, that's fine. (laughs) We'll we'll move along with that. But I think when we talk about the history and and why it was such a success is really because of the incredible people that worked on it. Because remember, so many of the people that worked on Attraction Chef came over from the animation studio. They were animators. They were artists. They had incredible talent with, with watercolors. And so many of these people worked on Peter Pan's flight. So, for example, Herb Ryman, who, as you know, he designed much of Main Street and Sleeping Beauty Castle, New Orleans Square, um, a lot of things over in Epcot as well. He did many of the concept sketches for the Disneyland version back in May of 1954 and made sure to include, obviously, the major scenes like Mermaid Lagoon. um, and, And some of the real important things to him were like the big scene from London, which obviously carries over in both the Disneyland and Walt Disney World version.
2: Yeah, and, it's, and he, you had to tell, it was kind of interesting, because you're transitioning from, obviously, a movie to an attraction, so you have to kind of combine the best of both worlds. And so they went with the theme of Peter, Plan, Peter Pan's flight, in that you're journeying along as Peter Pan. It's, it's similar to what we've talked about with Snow White's adventure, where you were taking it from that perspective. And, it, and it, again, it raised similar questions, as you know, um, that came up with Snow White.
1: Right. And the unique thing about this, too, was not just the, the telling of the Peter Pan story, but the ride system that they were going to use. And an Imagineer by the name of Marvin Davis, he joined uh, WED back in 1953. You know, normally, they, Jeff, they create this sort of walkthrough model, you know, kind of an eye-level walk-through model. He creates this fly-through model when it's decided that you're actually going to fly using this overhead rail system um, and, and did sort of a test track and ride mock-up over at the shop building, over at the studios. They actually left the Disneyland site, built this full-scale sort of mock-up over at the studio in order to test the ride system, which was, like I said, a technological breakthrough at the time.
2: And and that's what the wow factor was that I was referring to just before, is you were coming off of, you know, coming into Disneyland, you were talking about, you know, traditional carnival dark rides, which, you know, were typically you know fun house or scary you know haunted house type of motif so again you're going into a different direction telling a specific story based on the film but that was i think the moment that everybody has with peter pan that is so enduring is that you get in expecting a grounded dark ride as it were and suddenly you're airborne
1: right well and you know something else too that we need to, to look at especially in context of it being 1955 is the quote unquote dark ride it's a ride that takes place in the dark, uh, they're using things not just like fluorescent paint, but they're using black light, which at the time, Jeff, really was probably somewhat of a novelty back in the 50s. But that, that technique and that technology still holds true. And that's why I think the dark rides, especially like Peter Pan, are so popular.
2: And that's what was so why these guys were so ahead of their time, Ryman and Davis, because they developed something that 50 years later is, is equally as impressive And enduring. I mean, you you know, people that ride Peter Pan now at Walt Disney World and Disneyland get on and they're that's they're still just totally immersed and impressed by what was done 50 years ago.
1: Exactly. Like I said, the lines for Peter Pan, I mean, invariably throughout the day, no matter what time of the year it is, are always long. And the people who are in the lines are not just people with kids. I mean, they're, they're adults like myself, I mean, I, I have no problem admitting that I love, love Peter Pan. It never gets old.
2: And what's amazing about it is, is it's a two and a half minute experience, roughly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Although it doesn't feel like it, like Dumbo. Right, feels, that's right. That, that was exactly <laughs> it.
2: That was my point. I, when we, when I was kind of doing my homework for this, and I, I came upon that fact, you know, the ride durations they vary a little bit from park to park. I was blown away because I would, I would have said uh, five, seven maybe 10 minutes on tops, you know, it's, it's amazing how you get that involved in it as you ride it.
1: Yeah. And when we start talking about the different scenes in the story, it's because of just, there is really so much to see and there's so much to experience. And I think that's why, and, and one of the other people too, that definitely bears mentioning because I think he played such an important part in the success of the attraction was Ken Anderson. And for those who may not be familiar with that name, You know his work, I guarantee. He was the art director for films, little films like Snow White, Pinocchio, Fantasia. He created the characters of Shere Khan and Elliot the Dragon from Pete's Dragon. He did most of Florida's Magic Kingdom's dark ride interiors, obviously including Peter Pan's Flight. Um, He also worked on concept drawings and art for Mr. Toad's Wild Ride and Storybook Land over in California. And he also worked with another famous Imagineer on Peter Pan's Flight, and he was Claude Coates. Claude Coates did a lot of the uh, watercolor background paintings in Pinocchio and Snow White and Fantasia, Dumbo. A couple of films that Jeff might like, like Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros. I figured you wanted to interject something right there. About You're how- master. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: In fact, if you want to stop and take twenty minutes to talk about them for a while, we can do that.
1: We'll come back to that on, on another segment. <laughs> I promise you. I, I do promise you that we're going to do a whole so, three Caballeros Grand Fiesta Tour segment, and you can just go off on your <laughs> merrily on your way to nowhere in particular. So, yeah. And he obviously Claude Coach. You also know the name from you know little attractions like Haunted Mansion and and Pirates and and the Submarine Voyage and the World's Fair and things like that. But. They did a lot of the of the artwork and the scenes, even in the load area. Like Jeff, if you look at the load and unload area, the murals there uh, on both coasts, I think, are beautiful and really add to the experience.
2: Yeah, that's the, the queue areas are often you know if you, you know you're waiting in that line for so long that you're so happy to get on board your pirate ship that you you don't stop and pause. And and you're right, they, there's so much effort that goes into those exteriors; it's, it's amazing.
1: And the unique thing that that they had said too when. They were getting ready to prepare for the Disneyland version. Remember, Peter Pan came out in 53. They're now rushing to get Peter Pan into Disneyland to open for 1955. Because they had relatively done the films relatively recently, they knew the look, they knew the story, they knew the key scenes already laid out for them. A lot of times, because they were under the gun so much, they just kind of went into the space and started creating and started painting and started building without a lot of the preliminary planning and things like that that they normally do for these attractions. And again, because the story transitioned so well into a ride, obviously it works. And again, too, when we talk about Peter Pan's flight, I think one of the things that clearly distinguishes it, one of the things that I love about this attraction is you so get the feeling that you are flying because of the ride track system and what they did for Disneyland, obviously Disneyland first, was they built the track system first and then they sort of built the sets and the and the building around it, kind of like what they did over at Rock and Roller Coaster. They built the track first, built the building around them. Originally, uh, the system that was in Disneyland was built by a company called the Cleveland Tram Rail Company. They had built overhead conveyance systems for warehouses and factories so that they could move parts around the plants like you might see like an automotive plant. And Disney came up with the idea of using that as the ride system. And obviously, whenever you talk about anything that sort of moves in a Disney theme park, the name Bob Gurr has to come up. Um, and he obviously helped redesign the original track system over in Disneyland, which was kind of noisy, broke down. Again, it wasn't really meant for that specific purpose. Uh, it actually used to swing back and forth side to side a lot. One time, kids were swinging uh, one of the, the galleons side to side, and one of the release pedals actually got stuck in the wall. So they, he was able to sort of update it. And it, over the years, it's been updated to what we have today. And uh, another Imagineer that, that just sort of bears mentioning, too, is Yale Gracie. He's another Imagineer whose names that you know, obviously, from the Haunted Mansion. He also did another refurb of the attraction in Disneyland. He updated everything from the lighting to sound to scenery. And I mention that, Jeff, because the upgrades that, they, that took place in the original Disneyland version obviously carried over and were even improved upon even more when Walt Disney World opened.
2: Because there was a great deal of static props, essentially, in the original Peter Pan's flight at Disneyland, whether or not.
1: Yeah, what I've been able to gather from my research, obviously never having seen the original version, I'm old but not that old, is that there probably were some basic audio animatronics figures, probably not, certainly not as many as we see now in Disneyland, certainly not up to the technological level that we had in Walt Disney World when it opened.
2: And again, I think we touched on the fact that Initially, again, um, Peter Pan did not appear in the attraction. It was basically being told from his perspective, sort of like we mentioned about Snow White, and initially as well. So you did not actually see him in that in that initial uh, version of the of the ride.
1: And the benefit for for Walt Disney World fans is that we sort of got to the the post-refurbishment, post-improvement versions of Peter Pan's Flight when this attraction opened. Now, well, actually, was not technically an opening day attraction. It didn't open October 1st. It opened two days later. uh, One of the first attractions to open up after the initial uh, opening day. And again, we got the benefit of the input of more Imagineers and artists like Bill Justice and Bill Martin. They did the drawings for the Florida's version, and if you know the Peter Pan film, you know that Justice was an animator on that film as well. But they too expanded not just on the attraction itself, but some of the things that you got to see in there, like the audio animatronics figures, they added more scenes from the film, uh, like Wendy reading to the boys in the nurseries, the Indians in the camp, uh, and also the duel between Hook and Pan that's on the, the upper level of the ship's rigging. Uh, I also don't think that the original Disneyland version had a Lost Boys camp, uh, and a couple things too. Plus, the buildings are very different, so the scale and the scope of what is in the Walt Disney World version is different than uh, is what's out in Disneyland. Now, that being said, I, I I will talk about the Disneyland sort of versus Walt Disney World version because there are many elements of the Disneyland version that I actually like better than Walt Disney World. But we do have things like the moving load-unload ramps um, for easier loading and unloading and faster unloading and loading. But in 1982, Disneyland's version did get a major upgrade when they did the, the sort of new Fantasyland. Tony Baxter, you know his name from uh, a senior Imagineer. He was the senior ride designer. He did a lot of upgrades like... Upgrading the ride system and larger ships and new scenes that they brought over from Walt Disney World.
2: And I first experienced it in 1989, but my didn't retain any memory of it. And then you and I recently, uh, earlier this year, uh, got to see it. And we were blown away um, because, I, I guess, a lot of the improvements that were made in that refurbishment are just amazing, even compared to what is in Walt Disney World. I, I know you and I, we were all talking about just the differences, because I think we, we got on the ride out in Disneyland just sort of expecting a, a direct clone, and it was it was different in a lot of ways.
1: And and when we talked about it on the Disneyland show that we did, it's actually a reason to go and experience both, because if you're a fan of, the, of either version, you get a slightly different experience. You get some different show scenes uh, as we sort of go through scene by scene, there was one part of the Disneyland version that, for me, necessitated riding over and over again because that's how blown away I was by it. And maybe that's what we should do, Jeff, is just kind of go through scene by scene and talk about some of the elements, maybe some of the little hidden things that we can find in there. And obviously the first scene that we get to is, and I, I know I'm going to say this probably for every scene, is one of my favorites. It's, it's a quick scene you go through very, very quickly, but it's the Darling Nursery. And it's a, it's a very small space. You see the children's beds and the toys and, and Nana's blocks from the movie... One thing I love is as soon as you start to enter the nursery and before you sort of bank left, you'll see a little table with a red checkerboard sort of picnic tablecloth on it with Raggedy Ann and Andy there. And for kids, Raggedy Ann and Andy were old, you know, uh, characters and and, uh, very, very popular plush figures. And you'll see them sitting there at the table uh, along with the bear. And, Jeff, this is a scene that it's small, but I think there's a lot to see and I find myself... Continually looking back and forth, bouncing around from side to side, trying to pick up everything in the
2: room and what's great about this is is unlike other dark rides, you are part of the story um you're you're very directly brought into the Peter Pan story through what happens in the scene, and that is you hear Peter saying something to the effect of, "Okay, everybody, here we go," and you then bank around and you go out the window and it's it's you are a part of the adventure. It's it's you are a character in this in this adventure.
1: Exactly, and you see the shadow of Peter Pan on the wall, and you feel as though you are following him, and you get that sense of flight as you leave the window and you go outside the Darling house, and you see Nana's doghouse and the the buildings in this little English village, and that sense of forced perspective starts to take shape before you move over and fly into London. And this, for me, Jeff, the flying over London scene, one of my all-time favorite scenes anywhere um, in any of the Disney theme parks.
2: and ex- Exactly, because it is something that's so rooted in simplicity, but something that's totally unexpected the first time you ride it. And I, I was kidding with you about, I have a very sentimental story about my mom. <laughs> and when we first rode this in 1973, when we first visited Disney World, my mom was just totally blown away by this attraction. And, you know, this is, you know, family, mother of four, had never really was that interested in Disney movies or anything like that to any great extent, but, you know, wanted to go to Disney World. She rides this ride and could not stop talking about it. And what she could not stop talking about was flying over London and how that was just so effectively portrayed, even though you knew, once again, you're in a very simple dark ride and they did it through very simple force perspective, lighting. It's very basic, but it's just so, so effective.
1: And, and like I said, this is you really get the sense that you're flying. And I don't think any other attraction, and, and correct me if you can think of something else, gives you that feeling. I mean, even something like soaring, you don't get because here your vehicle's actually in motion. And it's a, it's a complete 3D environment, unlike soaring, where you're looking at a screen and... When you look down and you see the streetcars, look like they're, they're moving back and forth, although they're just painted glow-in-the-dark dots on a bicycle chain. How absurdly simple, but an, an amazing, amazing effect.
2: But again, it set the stage for innovations that would follow. And the most obvious one when you're saying, the, you know, something similar is Horizons. Um, you, you, you had a similar kind of dynamic when you came around the bend in Horizons and you were suddenly in outer space. And I, I always, when I wrote Horizons, I always, in kind of in the back of my mind, was going back to where this started, and it was just very much rooted in in the London scene from Peter Pan.
1: And there's just, and it really begins as you start to leave the village by Nana's doghouse. I mean, it again, so beautiful in its simplicity, the use of scale, the use of lighting in the windows, that diminishing perspective really gives you the feeling as if you are going higher and higher and higher. You're only about 17 feet up in the air, but you get such a different sense of perspective, and there's a lot of cool little details to look down for. You, obviously, you see you know, the Thames, and you see the Tower Bridge and St. Paul's Cathedral, and hey, kids, Big Ben, Parliament. <laughs> it's, <Yeah. laughs> it's, it's it's such a great use of dark space and black light with the, the clouds and the painting of the walls and, and the music. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful scene.
2: And then you come upon, again, something that kind of takes you by surprise because you weren't really expecting it, is the animation um, in front of the moon.
1: Absolutely. And the, the thing that I like, too, and this is sort of where I'll just briefly sort of compare and contrast the Disneyland and Disney World version is the Starfield sense that you get over London and Disneyland simply took my breath away the first time I saw it back in February. And we don't have that in Walt Disney World, and it doesn't take anything away from the scene. It's just different. It's just portrayed differently, but I think it's just spectacular in Disneyland.
2: It, exactly. We we were all really blown away by that when we wrote it, because again, I think it was the combination of how, like you said, how spectacular it is, and we weren't expecting it. We were expecting just more just similarity to the, to the Disney World version, so it was a nice bonus.
1: Right, and like you said, as you sort of crest around the moon you really sort of begin your descent and you feel it because it's actual a physical descent and a descent that's also taking place by use of the perspective into into Neverland. And the track lowers a little bit to give you that, that feeling. Uh, the scenes here, again, are simple, but they're wonderful. And I think part of the appeal for the of the attraction, too, is that they're so easily identifiable by kids who have seen the movie. Um, and I think that's a, a huge, huge part of the appeal.
2: Yeah, the, like you said, the set pieces, again... It's, it's they're complex in their simplicity, I, and that's you know kind of an oxymoron. But it's the fact that they're staged in such a way that, like you said, that descent is so impressive because you're coming down on kind of mountains and such, and they're that gradual descent is they're using the force perspective sort of all along the descent to make sure everything stays correct as you're seeing it. If that makes sense,
1: no, it, it absolutely, absolutely does. Um, and, and there's again there's so much to see and you really have to look to your left and right there isn't a, necessarily a direction that you're sort of pointed to look so at one point you should as you're entering Neverland look down and I love the little, the little small ship of Captain Hook and Mr. Smee and the pirate ship firing at you and then quickly off to your left you have the Lost Boys camp and you almost have to look behind you in order to catch it and see it uh, do you know that actually all the Lost Boys have names did you know that?
2: Yes they do there's Lou and Eric <laughs> and George.
1: Andy is clearly a Lost Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Cody, throw him in there too, because we need we need. And
2: then they and, and then the cool thing about it is they all got together and made a movie in the '80s where they killed vampires or something.
1: <laughs> no, that was the Goonies. You're thinking of the Goonies. No, <laughs> oh, no, Lost
0: Boys, the two <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, actually, the uh, the lost now since I, I threw it out there, I guess I have to say it. The lost boys' names are actually Foxy, Rabbit, Skunk, the two Raccoon twins, and Cubby. So, but uh, the next scene that you get, again lifted directly from the movie, is over Mermaid Lagoon, and they recently just did a, a very small refurb and upgrade of the attraction Um, the scenes are are painted so much brighter you really get a one and I think Mermaid Lagoon is is beautiful Uh, the mountains look great you get that um, you get that that middle mermaid that looks eerily like Ariel (laughs) 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 I'm sure that was not coincidence Um, but and again it's such a silly simple little animation of the tails just flipping back and forth but I I love it I, I just love that scene
2: and correct me if I'm wrong, but none of the mermaids have tops, right?
1: They have clamshell tops. This is a family-friendly I think attraction.
2: Hair, I, think, <laughs> I think the hair comes down selectively.
1: Well, I think because
2: you wow, so you're looking at this out
1: <laughs> You are so looking way too close. Well, let's move along from uh, the Mermaid Lagoon over to the Indian Camp. Uh, and again, it's a simple little scene. With the, uh, with, the, with the Indians sitting around the little campfire with the TVs behind them. But if you listen very clarif- carefully, you can hear the drums coming into audio focus. Um, you can see Tiger Lily sitting there. And I love Tiger Lily. I have to quick aside. Because she's always just so static. She's so expressionless. Even when she's captured by Hook, she's just kind of sitting there. Same look on her face. Again, if you can catch a quick glimpse of her um, at the Indian camp. So as you pass the Indian camp and you bear to your right, this is where the attraction takes on a a very different look, a very different scale and scope. This is where you hit um, Captain Hook's ship, where you see that the kids are captured and they're on the deck of the ship. Everything is pretty much full scale here, whereas the Indian camp Mermaid lude very, very small scale, a couple inches high each. Um, You start to hear, again, listen carefully. You can hear tick-tock crock in the distance. If you look up, you can see Captain Hook and Peter Pan um, in a sword fight and a knife fight on um, on one of the, the sails overhead. And again, it, it's, a, it's a very simple scene, limited animation, but I think it's great.
2: And then the, the brilliant part of this is is that you come around the sails and you're transitioning in the story, which was, again, unexpected, but now you have resolution to the story. Um, you know, Hook is defeated. They're triumphant on the deck. And it, it was just a very... Amazing kind of transition. I just—that's I, one of my favorite parts of the ride. How they how they managed to do that and tell the story,
1: right? And the, the the difference here too is that this is where the creators of the attraction branched away from the actual film. There was no scene in the movie where the pirates are "quote unquote" asleep on the deck. Uh, in the film, this is something like uh, like you said, Jeff, that they brought into the attraction to give it that final scene, that final re- resolution before. Again, I, I think, I, like I said, everything is my favorite scene. I love Captain Hook standing over the uh, open jaws of TikTok Croc with, with Mister Smee rolling over to try and help him.
2: And again, very simple, very basic animation, but so effective to the scene where it's just—it's just basically the jaws of, the, of TikTok flexing as you know Hook goes up and down. But it's brilliant. It, it's so effective.
1: And his little screams of "you know, help me, help me, Mister. Smee!" Right. Now he's the victim. Uh, you know, so so he's, there's definitely a role reversal as far as Hook is concerned. But and that kind of leads me to kind of tying this whole thing together: why this attraction is so popular, why it's a personal favorite of mine, and so many other people. And right off the bat, it's classic story, classic characters, and I will make I will plead my case once again as to why Peter Pan. Is undoubtedly the best character ever. And here you go, my legal argument in 60 seconds. He never has to grow up. He can fly. He lives on a beautiful private island that people would pay tens of millions of dollars for in this market. He's got a group of friends that hangs out and plays with him all day. He battles pirates all the time and wins. He's got a little magical pixie thing as a as a sidekick. Very very popular among the mermaids and other women fawning over him like the mermaids and Tiger Lily. And Wender. And you know what? He's a darn snappy dresser, too. There you go. 60 seconds. Why Peter Pan's the best character?
2: <sighs> Lou.
1: <laughs> if you're throwing Panchito here and trying to go toe to toe with me, you're gonna lose.
2: Lou, Lou 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 Lou. When do you see your therapist again?
1: <laughs> I know. I have issues. Please forgive me. But
2: <laughs> they wrote books called the Peter Pan syndrome. You know?
1: <laughs> No, I do not podcast in green tights. I will tell you that right off the bat. So please keep those. <laughs> don't email me about that. Again, just making an argument for the character. But uh, I mean, other characters, too, like Captain Hook. I mean, use Captain Hook as an example. He is he is a wonderful, wonderful villain, too.
2: He's a classic villain. Uh, he's if you'll notice, he's featured so predominantly throughout all the rest of the parks in so many situations and other attractions as well.
1: And he's different, too as far as villains are concerned, then, like, maybe some of the other villains you'll find in some of the other Dark Rides. He's not scary like uh, in Snow White. And, I mean, even the whole attraction is not scary like Mr. Toad used to be when you had a train coming at you, when you had devils in hell. Hook, you know, he's a very interesting, he's a very amazing character. He's really kind of how Wendy sort of, I I think, how Wendy and her brother sort of see their father. Um, He's not really an evil guy per se, sort of like just more of an extension of their imagination, and that's why you almost can kind of feel sorry for him, and he's very a very humorous villain, like you don't get maybe in some of these other um, classic films. So like I said, I think really it's that combination of the story and the characters, the ride system and the, the perspectives that you get here that you don't get anywhere else, uh, and really it's it's the mood of this, I think maybe more so than some of the other fantasyland dark ride a- attractions that is so much more positive all around again snow white is very dark and toad you had the train and you had hell and uh you know even alice and disneyland much 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 darker than this and i think maybe jeff this is probably why it is probably unquestionably the, the most popular of all the fantasyland dark rides
2: yeah it, it's in so many ways almost a sentimental e-ticket i mean it, it doesn't have the scale and scope of something like small world or or haunted mansion but it is just so remarkable in its brevity and it, in its simplicity like we've been talking about and and in that regard it is just so much loved i mean i again going back to the the anecdote about my mom i mean this was a ride she talked about countless times after leaving Disney World. I mean, she wasn't talking about the Haunted Mansion or Small World. She was talking about Peter Pan's flight and how how much she was impressed by it.
1: But see, that's it. I mean, I think Peter Pan's flight, and forgive me for maybe maybe overstating or being overly dramatic about this, but it really is sort of a representation of of Walt Disney World and Disneyland because in this attraction, you know, you follow Peter Pan and everybody's a child and you kind of leave the cares of the world behind by leaving Neverland. And much the same way as that when we visit Walt Disney World or visit Disneyland, we all act like children again. We leave the pressures of the real world behind us once we enter the park.
2: Excellent, Lou. Excellent.
1: So that's going to do it for this DSI Disney scene investigation. Uh, there are more attractions, more shows coming up. Obviously, to, to read more of Jeff's stuff, you can head on over to 2719hyperion.com and check out his new pop culture blog called Boom Pop. Shabba dabba ding dong. What, what exactly? It's, it's boom-pop. boom dash pop. Boom pop. Boom pop. Boom dash pop. Dot blogspot. Dot com.
2: Thank you. Thanks for the plug there.
1: Anytime, buddy. Always a
2: pleasure. Thanks, Lou. Had a great time.
0: I'll get you for this band. if it will oh, do. oh, Don't
2: just sit there, you fool. <laughs> I'm coming,
0: Captain. Oh, Me. poor, poor Captain all right! One, two, three!
2: Yeah. If you've just been wishing I'd go in fishing and you're still on the shore Grab your camping gear and meet us right here got all kinds of fun in store It's time for a
1: vacation, for some rest and relaxation well,
2: Get your cares and join our fairs to pray Great Outdoors yeah. <laughs> ain't nothing like the Great Outdoors, these your soul.
1: Since it opened, Walt Disney World has always been known as the place where parents can take their kids for that magical vacation that the whole family can enjoy, as the Magic Kingdom is the place that children can meet characters that they know and enjoy the attractions together. But in time, Walt Disney World became more than just the Magic Kingdom, and in doing so, it became a destination not just for families, but adults who might be traveling alone, or couples. And that led eventually to Walt Disney World becoming one of the top honeymoon destinations, not just in the country, but in in the entire world. And now, with two more theme parks, water parks, downtown Disney, Pleasure Island, and so much more, it's an incredibly popular destination for teenagers and college students on spring break, and most recently, some girls-only trips filled with great dining and shopping and spas, and what you might not realize is that Walt Disney World has also become a popular vacation destination for another group of travelers, as no longer are places like Las Vegas and Myrtle Beach the only places that guys can get together and get away for a few days. that's right, believe it or not, many of the guys-only trips are now looking to Walt Disney World as the place to kind of be manly men and do manly things. (laughs) And if you ever thought that, Maybe some of the guys who aren't into Disney rides and shows might think you're crazy for even suggesting it, or if your ladies are looking for somewhere that you might want to suggest to your husbands or boyfriends to go, this segment might be for you, because this week I'm joined by Steve Seifert, you may know him as Tiki Man, and uh, he's the god of all things Polynesian Resort, who's somebody who not only vacations at Walt Disney World with his family, but he grabs a bunch of his buddies and takes his yearly mancation to Walt Disney World, and Steve, I want to welcome you to the show.
0: How are you doing, Lou?
1: I'm doing very well, or I should say aloha. <laughs>
0: but, you
1: know, let's talk about that because you're really the one that brought this to my attention, and I never really thought about it. And is this something you, you've been going away with your, with your friends for a number of years, or is, is Walt Disney World where you've been going the whole time?
0: Well, um, one of my friends who is an Imagineer down in, uh, well, here in California, down south um, in Glendale, uh, had, you know, they're big golfers, and they kind of do guys' golf, trips down around there in Arizona and one year they decided they wanted to go a little farther you know they talked about doing Mexico or Hawaii of course the, the wives wouldn't let them go to Hawaii without them so that was out <laughs> and um, and since he is an Imagineer and, and so were a couple of the other guys in the group um, they decided well you know let's go and do it at Disney World because um, they, they vacation there with their family and they've golfed there when they've been there and they thought well they got good golf and it's nice resorts to stay at and they could get, you know, a discount through their uh, cast member discounts. So they started doing that a couple of years ago. And then when I uh, finally got old enough to try golf and uh, got into it, they uh, invited me along uh, last year. And it sounded like a fun trip and uh, I decided to go and I was pretty amazed that it was a really good destination for, you know, just a guy's trip. And um, I found that the wives, although they didn't like the fact that we were going to Disney World without the family, I think they appreciated the fact that we were in Disney World altogether instead of Las Vegas. Yeah, that's
1: exactly what I was going to say. Disney World is a much more uh, innocent destination to go than, than Las Vegas. I think you can get in a lot less trouble here than you might be
0: <laughs> yeah. in, in Vegas. Oh, we still have our share of trouble, but yeah, it's, it's definitely more Disney trouble. <laughs> um, the, the interesting thing is, is, I would say at least half the group, and there's usually uh, twelve of us. Um, really aren't into Disney. Um, in fact, they kind of get the jokes about, "Oh yeah, we're going to Disney again. Everything's Mickey Mouse and all." That. But you know what? They all really enjoy the destination. We all have a good time when we're there, and there's definitely plenty to do. Um, you know, outside the parks.
1: And, and that was going to be one of my first questions. Was I can't believe that the whole dozen of you are all Imagineers and hardcore Disney fans with fan websites. What did some of these guys say when they started suggesting, hey, you know, we wouldn't go to Disney World for our vacation? We're not going to go to, you know, Cabo San Lucas or, or someplace like that.
0: <laughs> well, I unfortunately wasn't in on that first conversation when Sean probably sprung on all of them that they were going to Disney World to play golf. But um, I, I imagine there was some resistance at first. Uh, but once they did the first trip and as much fun as they had on the first trip, um, I don't think going the second year was difficult at all to talk them into. And I know um, once I kind of got into the inner group, because it, it, I guess there's a waiting list now to get into this group, <laughs> um, They, you know, I got the email traffic about uh, what we were going to do this year. And there was some discussion about, you know, maybe we should go to Mexico or try something different. And really, when it all came down to when we, you know, kind of took the details of what the trip would be like, none of these other destinations really had kind of the complete package of you know it didn't have as many things to do cuz you go to Mexico okay you're at the resort and then you got golf and not that there's not other you know kind of touristy things to do but it it's just it's all so close and easily accessed inside of Disney World uh and, and with all the transportation options uh it it just seemed to be the best way to go and the and actually in some cases the least expensive way
1: yeah and I'm sure for the guys like you who are fans of Disney and, and some of the people who are listening Getting to go to Disney World with Imagineers on a, you know, maybe without the wife and kids for a couple of days, that sounds like a pretty cool trip. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's a great grou- group of guys. And, um, and, you know, even for me, when I first uh, went, I didn't know anybody but two of the guys. And from the minute I showed up there and we all met at the boardwalk one, the, the morning that they all uh, flew in, we just all got along so well, and 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 it's it was really a great place because you know we can split off into different groups throughout the day, because um, there's you know there's so many different things to do in Disney World. You know sometimes we'll, we'll there's plenty of places to eat and there's the parks to go into and there's you know excursions and things to do outside of the parks. So if anything, we were never bored. We 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 always it was like there's so much to do. What should we do next? And we were going from early morning to late at night.
1: Yeah, and we're going to talk about some of the things you do because I think people might be surprised at how much time you spend in and out of the parks. But how long do you guys normally go for? And I guess the first question is, what about the resorts? Do you guys get, you know, one of these monster three-bedroom villas? Do you get adjoining rooms or are you all scattered around the property?
0: Well, no, we're always usually pretty close together. Um, I remember the, um, the first time I went, we were looking at trying to get the, um, the grand villa. I think it's called the grand villa at the um, boardwalk. Um, boardwalk villas and I guess it has enough rooms to sleep it was the only room that they had that would sleep all 12 of us and but unfortunately I guess there were some issues with the the cast member discount and things like that to get the grand villa but we still ended up going with the villas because that way you know we've got the uh, the laundry in the room and um, we can get the one bedrooms or two bedrooms in fact the first year we had uh, a two-bedroom villa and I believe we had it, uh, just one of the individual villas. And they accommodated us by putting us close together or next door to each other. So we're all pretty close. Um, and the villas work out well.
1: See, except you made your first mistake. You mentioned having the laundry facilities there. Because you know if any of the wives are listening to this, it, they going to be like, wait a minute. You're going away. You're doing laundry when you're alone on vacation, but you're not <laughs> going to do it at home. Things are going to change very quickly. So we'll pretend that you didn't. Um, you didn't mention that. But one of the other things when you start talking about the resorts and stuff like that is it didn't take very long to, to have the topic turned to food. Do you guys plan your ADRs way in advance? Do you, you start making reservations for the 12 of you? Or again, do you guys kind of split up and sort of wing it throughout the week?
0: Well, we um, I'd say we attack that problem the same way we probably do with the families. And that's uh, we do make uh, kind of decisions on where we want to eat. Uh, in advance so that we can make the reservations ahead of time. Um, and that way we have kind of a list of what we're going to do. We plan out, uh, mostly dinners. You know, we have each night planned out for we'll have dinner here. We'll have dinner here. And, uh, and sometimes we stick to it. Most of the time we stick to it, but I would say on every trip, maybe one or two nights, it ends up being that we, we kind of change plans. And in some cases we split up and half the group will go to one place and the other half will go to another and, and that works out fine. But I mean, you know how it is nowadays. You you still have to make your, your v- reservations ahead of time. Otherwise, you might end up with no place to eat.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially when you're talking about a group that size. You're not just going to walk up to, you know, chefs de France on, on seven o'clock on a Saturday night and tell them you want a party of
0: twelve. Exactly. In fact, at the time the nights that we do decide to split up is the only, kind of the only time if we maybe have like a group of uh, four or five. Um, like one night on this last trip uh, we uh, changed plans for the last night and I suggested you know flying fish and we decided to kind of try that last minute um, and it worked out because there was only uh, I think there was uh, five of us that night maybe it was four of us that night and um, and it worked out fine with that small group um, and, and sometimes we do wing it like that and it, and it works out but you're right with uh, 12 of us we can't just decide to you know, go to La Scala or anything uh, the, the night before, kind of, and, and hope to get in.
1: True, and you—you you started talking early on about so much to do, and I, I can't believe, uh, strange as it may seem, that that all the guys who are there are saying, "Hey, it's extra magic hours. We got to get up crack of dawn so we can hit Dumbo first thing in the morning." I, I'm sure you guys spend your days <laughs> a little more varied than going to the Magic Kingdom and just commando touring the parks. Uh, Tell us some of the ways that you guys spend the days and some of the things maybe you do outside the parks.
0: Yeah, um, a, a typical day, uh, I w- you know, we almost, during the whole trip, we almost never go into the parks. Um, I, I, I know the first morning that we all get there and we're all kind of meeting up, we have kind of a, a, a breakfast, a kickoff breakfast, and we always plan our kickoff dinner, which is Ohana. And But that first day, we don't have any golf, so we'll usually head into some of the parks. Um, and that's probably the most parked, uh, time we get other than the fact that since we're at the boardwalk we're we're next to Epcot we're in there quite often either you know going to eat and maybe on a couple rides but mostly our days since we're there to golf we've got golf we're, we're usually there for um, six days and three of the days we have um, golf planned so it's usually early, you know get up early go have breakfast either near the resort or near wherever the golf is because the golf is usually near one of the other resorts uh, we play golf. That's uh, you know a pretty good majority of the day. When we come back from that, we usually relax at the the pool because you know we've been out playing golf in the hot sun all day, and it's nice to be able to just go back to the resort and hang out at the pool for a while. By that time, you know we're talking probably after lunch, maybe get a snack somewhere around the boardwalk for lunch, and relax until um, some of us maybe want to wander into one of the parks, or we just hang out until it's time to go to dinner. Um, after dinner, we usually head over to uh, Pleasure Island, take tra- Disney transportation on over and um, maybe get some hors d'oeuvres and a couple of beers and hang out and watch some entertainment like Raglan Road or something. And then usually wander back into the room around 2 o'clock in the morning to get up at 6 the next morning for the next round of golf.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, you mentioned golf a few times, and, and you know one of these days I want to do a full show about some of the different golf options and things like that. What, what's really maybe your favorite course or your favorite couple of courses um, on property?
0: Wow, they're, they're all, you know, uh, we've, we've golfed at some pretty amazing places here in California and, and Hawaii. And I would say that the Disney uh, golf courses are, you know, some of the best I've ever seen. And, um, of course, I think my favorite is probably Magnolia just because on the last few holes, you know, I can sit there and stare at the Polynesian while I'm putting. <laughs> So that's always a bonus for me, but um, but really the palm and magnolia, um, which are side by side across uh, over at the Shades of Green, are really great resort, uh, great golf courses. Um, I think they even have was the Funai Classic they do there right. every year, and you know Tiger goes and plays there, and it, it's it's a beautiful course as long as you stay out of the water because yes there are alligators, and I do have pictures of them. Um, and, and beware of the raccoons that uh, we've uh, discovered for the first time this year that actually will climb into your golf cart and steal your cell phones and your cameras <laughs> and anything else that you have laying out. Um, but it, they're, they're great courses and they're not, they're 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 pretty difficult, but they're really, they're just fun to play. I mean, I'm not a great golfer, but I, I just have a great time every time we've gone there. And they're, you know, they've got the full clubhouse and they've got the GPS on the carts and it's just a, it's a great, golf experience and the, the staff that's there to you know help you and, and get you started off and clean your clubs um, it, they're all very friendly I mean I think it's been a, one of the best golf experiences we've we've had at any place we've gone
1: and it's about $99 if you're a resort guest it's uh, ten dollars more if you're just a day visitor. After 10 a.m., it's down to fifty-nine dollars, and if I'm right, after three o'clock, it's down to thirty-nine dollars. So,
0: yeah, I think, and I think that's the during that's during the summer, right? Because isn't that the price slice or something? Right. That, that's for, from May. Free?
1: That's from May through October this year.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and they're all you know. Each course we we played all the Disney courses. Of, of course, uh, Eagle Pines is now gone. We we actually played the last day that it was open um, last year, hmm. um, and that's I guess will become. The golf course, a new golf course for the, um, uh, is it the Four Seasons that's going in? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you've still got, you've got, um, Palm Magnolia that are obviously at the Shades of Green, and you've got, uh, Osprey Ridge, uh, that's over near, um, it's next to where Eagle Pines was. And, um, you've also got Lake Buena Vista, which, um, it was kind of neat when we played there because it was the first time I had seen, um, uh, what's the, uh, saratoga springs mm-hmm. which is where you go um when you first start off what's the uh dvc that, that's there the um Oakie west right yeah and um so it's kind of a neat way to see the the other resorts you know when we've gone there to play golf
1: true and just uh, like i said the, the rates that i quoted before those were the the summer to fall rates if you go january through may they're up a little bit higher. It's about 159 for a guest and 169 for a day visitor. So depending on yeah. when you go, the rates do change. The,
0: the nice thing also is if you, um, like, uh, we usually play multiple Disney courses. Um, this was actually the first year that we played twice at Disney and then once off-site just to, to try it. But when um, the past trips when we played all Disney courses, you can leave your bags there and they transform to the next um, course you're going to be at because they, they tag your bags. And um, so you just basically, and oh, and they they also supply transportation from your resort. So they pick you up in a van or a limo or or a taxi, whatever size you need, bring you to the course, your clubs are there, ready to play, and, and off you go.
1: That was actually going to be my next question: Was do you need to take buses or do you need to rent a cab in order to get to and from the golf courses?
0: That they give you vouchers um, to get to the to the courses. Uh, so you give the vouchers to the um, taxi or the van that picks you up.
1: And that actually brings up another question: Do you guys rent a car when you go down? Do you just use Disney transportation? Do you do you rent uh, taxis, or how do you guys get around usually?
0: Disney transportation, um, and every once in a while, you know, uh, we'll we'll grab a, a taxi at one of the resorts. You know, especially if we're going from resort to resort, or resort to downtown Disney, or something, and, or if it's late at night, we'll, we'll you know we'll we'll all hop in a taxi. Um, but uh, for the most part, it's it's all Disney transportation and other than the rental car that I get, because I'll usually head down a little bit early, um, we, don't, we don't even have the need for a rental car.
1: Yeah, and as you were describing your typical day, uh, if you've gone to Walt Disney World with family and with young kids, it's obviously a very, very different day planned out with golf and the pool and lounging around and, and things like that. And you've obviously taken, you've gone to Disney with your family, you've gone on these kind of vacations talking about a completely different experience.
0: Yeah, I've kind of seen kind of Disney from three different experiences. The, you know, the first uh, quite a few years it was um me with a girlfriend, me with my fiance, then me with my wife, you know. It was that experience of kind of the couples. And and, and it's funny cuz I'd always hear people talk about, yeah, it's a family destination. Well, it was always great for, you know, two adults too as a couple. And then I got to experience going as a family once we had our son and and now I'm seeing it from, you know, the guy's point of view. And it is it is different and it but it's really a, a great destination. And unfortunately most of us are fathers, so after about four or five days there when we get into the elevator and we see all the, the kids coming in we start kind of feeling homesick and wanting to go back to our <laughs> kids, but <laughs> but it's it's really it is a different experience and and you're kind of um on less of a a scheduled trip. It's kind of winging it. It's kind of doing what you feel like doing, and you and you get with the guys that you know. You throw out suggestions, and then a couple of guys say, "Yeah, let's go do that," and then the rest will go do something else. But it's really kind of open to whatever you want to do. It's it's very low stress,
1: and that's the great thing about going with a big group like that is that you can also to go your separate ways during the day. If maybe somebody's not a big golfer or somebody wants to just hang out by the pool, whatever it is, then meet up later on as a group. But what are some of the other things that you? if anything, other than golf in the pool, um, some of the other manly activities you guys do during the day?
0: Well, think of all the the things you can do and the options that we have. I don't think we've ever even been able to um, do all the things that we've thought of of doing. I mean, you can go out and uh, rent boats for the day. You can go fishing in the morning. Um, uh, We're not big on the shopping. In fact, I don't think we ever go in and shop except for maybe the last day for our kids. Um, But... Uh, even just, just being able to go, we'll go into a, into a park and just go on maybe one ride, go on Everest and, and then head back out. I mean, how, how could you ever do that with your family? They would, they would kill you if you went in for one ride and wanted to leave. Um, uh, I, the big thing I think for us is we really do get to go and enjoy a lot of the different foods and we'll try places that we never really got to try with our families or, or go into a, um, a restaurant or, or ESPN club or something and, and grab a, quick little bite of this and then go try a beer uh, somewhere else and and just or sometimes we just it's just hanging out you know it's a great place to just relax and hang out
1: exactly and there are so many different activities that you might not get a chance to do if you are there with your kids like you said you mentioned some of the boating things you could rent a pontoon boat you can go parasailing you can do there's catch and release fishing all over the resort uh, depending on water skiing
0: speed. jet skiing yeah yeah
1: or you can rent out one of the little water mice one of the little speed boats the personal speed boats you could take
0: out um, yep. well and the contemporary does actually have uh, wave runner jet skis uh, a lot of people don't know they rent the jet skis there but that you know that's a that's a fun thing to do that you you know something you might find you would do in Mexico or Hawaii and they and they have it right there
1: and you talk about getting totally unique views of the parks and some of the resorts um that is, you know, being on Bay Lake and the Seven Seas Lagoon is definitely the way to do it.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: Have you ever done anything like either one of the Segway tours or anything over at Fort Wilderness or what about something like the Richard Petty
0: driving experience? Um I know there was a one of the guys in our group had done the driving experience. And, and you know, a, a lot of times I've thought about that. It's kind of intriguing. It would be fun to try. I'm, I'm not sure how long it, it takes in the day to do, but yeah, I mean there's there's so many other little options to do. Um even with remember when the Disney Institute used to be around and there was those things you go off and do and and now that that's gone there's still like plenty of other little kind of hidden options of things that you can go off and do and um and and the nice thing is we're free to to have that option you know we don't have to worry about bringing the family along if we decide to do it and some of the guys do that in fact a lot of the guys leave in the second day in they'll go and off to the spa and have a massage you know to get prepared for their their golf experience.
1: And that, that's what I was going to say. That's something that you and I had talked about, that a guy would probably never think about doing, especially if he's there alone or with a bunch of guys. But there are different types of spa treatments and massages that you guys can go at places like the Mandara Spa, over at the Dolphin, over at Saratoga Springs. Animal Kingdom Lodge has a beautiful spa there. And you can get, you know, the deep tissue massage or the Balinese or the Swedish massage. And again, something you might not do or certainly can't do if you're there with your kids, it might want to be, you know, spending the
0: day at the Magic Kingdom. Absolutely. Yeah. There's there's so much that it, like I was telling you or um, when, when we, we actually got to see each other while we were there, <laughs> 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 um, our days are just so full and, and it's not a hectic kind of a full. I mean, there's 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 just so many options and and we find that we're, you know, we're filling the day from early morning to late at night and still having that time in between to relax by the pool and and not overdo it so that way we actually come back from this vacation and not feel like we need another vacation um, and I think that's the important part is it's and you don't have to worry about uh, you know where anyway is going if you're in Mexico and you know you lose a couple of the guys who knows where they'll end up you know but on Disney property you know you you're pretty much it's self-contained you're not gonna be too far you're not gonna get somewhere you can't get back um, and everything's so close by and so easily accessed and we really find that it's it makes for a nice relaxing trip and we you know we get plenty of enjoyment out of it plenty of activities great food great company we meet a lot of people over there um you'd think uh, 12 guys running around would be kind of intimidating um to some of the families but you know all of us are so open and and we you know talking to people that we meet that um uh it's it's been a really great environment for us um and we've you know we've made even new friends while we've been there
1: true and there's so much to do too not just during the day but at night and whether you are going to if you're married maybe kind of getting away for a couple of days or if you're single then light, nightlife at Walt Disney world rivals you know other destinations you've got not just Epcot where you can walk around and and eat and drink around the world or, or see illuminations but you've got the boardwalk you've got downtown disney you've got the clubs at Pleasure Island. So you can have a really fun time as well at night.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's why we relax during the day because there's so much we know we're going to do at night. You know, once we get prepared for dinner, go to dinner, what we're going to do after dinner. Um, you know, we were there one time for, for Cinco de Mayo and we did drinking around the world. And and it's it's just, yeah, there's there's so many options um, that there's, there's no way we go there and we're ever bored.
1: And if you have maybe a tip for somebody that is thinking about doing it and, and trying to rally together a bunch of guys or, you know, wants to be the one to say, hey, what do you say we go to Disney World? What do you think is, is maybe the best tip for, for the guy's vacation or their mancation to Walt Disney World?
0: Uh, read my trip report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. I, I can see, you know, if somebody that hasn't been, that's that's your biggest struggle is talking them into Disney World as a location. Um, I guess the best thing you could do is, you know, research some of these sites that kind of outline all the things, the activities there are at Disney world, put them on a list and say, here's all the things that you could do, you know, and, and outside the parks, obviously the parks are, are, are just, uh, in addition to with all the, the rides and activities that are in there, but, um, so much to do outside the parks, make a list of those, show them what there is all in one area. And, you know, if that doesn't talk him into wanting to go there, I don't know what will.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And I will put a link to your most recent mancation trip report in this week's show notes. But like I said, if you or you and the guys are you're looking for a place to go, maybe not everybody's a huge Disney fan. Let them know that there's so much more than just Mickey and Small World and burgers and chicken fingers. And uh, (laughs) Steve Seifert, like I said, God of all things Polynesian you are the Tiki Man. Your Polynesian website, which is sort of the de facto resource for all things Polynesian, is?
0: <laughs> <laughs> w- www.tikiman2001.net
1: And real quick before you go, I know last year I was not able to make it, but you also hold an event every year that I'm I'm sorry that I missed last year. Give us a quick blurb all about Tiki Fest.
0: Well, we did Tiki Fest for the first time in 2007 at It was at the uh, VIP lounge in the uh, Living Seas, and it was kind of our first try at getting everybody, a lot of the Polynesian fans and Disney World fans together in in a party and a dinner, and it went off uh, really well, but better than we could have expected. Um, We were, unfortunately, couldn't do it this year, but they had kind of, uh, some of the people had done a small meeting Uh, This year with a dessert party, a private dessert party at um, Epcot for Illuminations that went over really well also. That was a few weeks back. So, you know, we started talking about what can we do for 2009. And it looks like we're going to shoot for starting to plan on a Tiki Fest uh, 2009, the first week of August. So hopefully there'll be uh, more details coming soon. And hopefully we'll see Lou there. Otherwise, we'll be going up and dragging you down.
1: You don't have to ask me twice to come to Tiki Fest. I, I will definitely be there. And, and as more details come out, come on by and post in the forums and let me know, and I'll obviously talk about it on the show. Sounds good. Cool. Steve Seifert, Tiki Man, thanks so much for coming on and uh, and sharing your details about going on the mancation
0: to Disney World. Thank you, Luo. It's always a pleasure to talk with you.
1: Mahalo, buddy. Thanks for coming back and tuning in again this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks again to Jeff Pepper from 2719hyperion.com and Steve Seifert, the Tiki Man, for joining me this week. I'll put a link to Steve's mancation trip report in this week's show notes over at wdwradio.com. Simply visit the homepage, look for the link on the homepage in the middle for this week's episode. You can also find show notes for past episodes by clicking on the show directory in the navigation bar. You'll get a list of all the past shows as well as the topics covered, so you can go back and maybe check out a show that you may have missed. Every day we're getting closer to releasing the first issue of Celebrations Magazine. Tim Foster and I have been working hard on it, as well as our columnists and contributors. Really looking forward to our first issue coming out soon. You can find out more over at celebrationspress.com. I also have a link in this week's show notes, so you can go and read more about what Celebrations Magazine is going to include But beyond just news and events and featured articles like from Tim and myself, we're going to have lots of other authors and webmasters and people that you know from the community and so much more to really help you celebrate everything that we love about Walt Disney World and the Disney Company. It's going to be a very fun, interactive thing. There's going to be history and trivia and games, lots of great photos and so much more. Again, you can visit celebrationspress.com. You can also take advantage of our pre-publication special offer, You can get six issues for $24.99. That's 30% off the cover price. And again, it's celebrationspress.com. Don't forget that the Adventureland Challenge Contest is nearing the end of round two, and the contestants need your help. You can vote once per 24-hour period until August 27th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern for your favorite entry. So come back and help give somebody a chance to move on to be one of the three contestants that's going to move on to the final round and possibly win the grand prize of a VIP Walt Disney World vacation for four. Once again, I got to say thanks to everybody who entered, who's been playing, who's been voting. Congratulate all the round two contestants. Wish them good luck. And big thanks again to my sponsors, of course, Mouse Fan Travel, All-Star Vacation Homes, and Hidden Mickey's Guide, who made the contest possible. I also wanted to let you know that I've just posted a new link on the WDW Radio Show homepage on the right-hand side, as well as on the right-hand side of the DisneyWorldTrivia.com forums because I'm now offering a free download of a 10-minute sample of the audio guide to Walt Disney World, Main Street, USA. I've gotten a number of emails from listeners asking me exactly what the guides were like and maybe even to give an idea of what they could hear on it, so I thought I'd give you a free download for a limited time. Again, that's about 10 minutes from the first CD, Main Street, USA, but Main Street and Adventureland are both available on CD for $9.99, as well as as an instantly downloadable file for just $7.99 over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Just click on the shop link in the navigation bar, and it'll take you right over to the audio guide page. Speaking of special offers, when you go and visit the show's website at WDWRadio.com, be sure you look in the show notes for ongoing specials from some of our sponsors. Owner's Locker is still giving you $50 off the sign-up fee. From All-Star Vacation Homes, you can still stay five nights. Get a free night free if you reserve any of their vacation homes for five nights. You check in by December 15th. You only pay for four. Just mention the Stay Five, Pay for Four special when you make a new reservation. You'll also find links to some of our other sponsors like Mouse Fan Travel, my recommended travel partner, as well as OrlandoFunTickets.com for official discounted Disney tickets. You'll also find a link for Orlando Attractions Magazine. That's created by Ricky Briganti. That covers all of the Orlando theme parks and attractions and restaurants and so much more. Real high quality, great, well-written magazine, some beautiful photos, lots of great features inside, so much more. It's great for all ages. I think it's something you're really going to enjoy. That's available on select store shelves in Orlando. And for an annual subscription and back issues, you can go visit them over at attractionsmagazine.com. Lots more great stuff coming up on future shows. I've got more interviews, more attraction highlights, trivia, history reviews. We've got the winner of the co-host for a day coming up probably in September. So, so much more. I, of course, have more of your emails to answer on the show. But if you have a question that you want answered, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. If you want to call the voicemail, be on the air. You can call 206-202-4WDW. That's 206-202-4939. You can call with comments, questions, just to say hello from the parks, anything at all that you like. Love having you interact and give feedback on the show. And if you want to comment on the show or talk about it with other listeners, you can visit the WDW Radio Forums. Those are over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. And as always, if you like the show, please help spread the word. Tell others about it. Review us on iTunes. Come say hi on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter. Your help and support of the show is always greatly appreciated. And again, thank you for taking the time and tuning in again this week. I hope you all have a great week. Thanks again. See ya!
0: Don't let him get me, Smee! Don't let him get me! Don't go away, Captain. I was saying yes.